something, and, and they want to hold on to it. They want to keep what they have. They, they have difficulty with sharing. It is, our natural, it is our natural propensity to hold on to what we have, to, to not share. Well, adults have problems with sharing as well. Adults have problems with releasing what they call mine, what's mine. Our natural propensity is let me hold on to what I have and grasp it, uh, lest anyone should take it from me uh, or, or I might have to part with it. That's what we naturally want to do. But there's what we naturally want to do, and then there's the grace of God at work in us. And what the grace of God does is the grace of God helps us to release our, our sinful, self-centered worship of material things so that we might be able to do good toward others. The grace of God, through the death of Jesus Christ, teaches us to be generous with others. That's what we're going to see today in 2 Corinthians 8. It's what I hope you'll see, what I hope you'll be motivated to do, what I hope you'll be, I will be able to appeal to you, to persuade you, hopefully from from the words of, of God speaking through the Apostle Paul, that you would learn generosity. The grace of God would be at work in you. What we'll see first is grace working. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. And what we'll see first is grace working. Grace working. The grace of God working. 2 Corinthians 8. We'll we'll read verses 1 through 5 to start. Grace of God working. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. One part of Paul's ministry was that he was taking up a collection to, uh, to carry back to the poor among the church in Jerusalem. What, what had happened in Jerusalem was that many of the Christians there were suffering. There had been famines there. There were, in fact, multiple famines in the region of Judea in Jerusalem. There was also the, lots of times what we'll see here in Macedonia was also happening in places like Jerusalem, where when you came to Christ, uh, that meant persecution. The persecution took the form of being cut off from the economic life of the local community. So you, you got, you got where people didn't, people didn't deal with you. You didn't have the credentials that you needed. You, didn't, you weren't able to be a part of the guild, so you weren't able to make money. So people were really suffering economically in Jerusalem. And as a way of showing fellowship between the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church and the Greek-speaking churches that Paul was, was ministering among, he was taking up a collection to go and help them. Now then, he, he, he told the, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 to take up uh, a collection to, to every week to collect more and more, a little bit every week to provide for the church in Jerusalem. And he says to the church in Corinth, he says, we want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of, of Macedonia. That, I want you to notice that the, the idea of grace, the, the, the word, the, the, the idea, the, the message of God's grace working through people, working in the church of Macedonia, that's, that's the idea. This is, the, this is what it looks like for the grace of God to be active in a church, to be active in these Macedonian churches. The church of Macedonia, those are going to be the churches like the, the church in Thessalonica, the th- church in Philippi, the Berean church. And so they are, the grace of God is working in them. And he is using that, he is using their example to, to motivate, to persuade, to appeal to the church in Corinth to give. To give the way they said they would. To give uh, it, the, to the collection, to the poor who are in Jerusalem. And he says that they are, these, these churches in, in Macedonia, they are in a severe test of affliction. You know, one of the things that you see, say, for instance, in the church in, in Thessalonica, the book of Thessalonians, it looks like they are facing the same kind of, of economic difficulty. There are, most of the problems in the church in Corinth come from the inside. There's false teaching and self-centeredness and, and division within the church. A lot of the problems in, Thessal, uh, in Thessalonica are coming from outside the church. Uh, there are people who are actively opposing the church. Uh, and again, it's probably this idea of you become a Christian, you get cut off from the, from the, the, economic, uh, the economic well-being of the community around. And so you're really struggling at that point. And so they are in the severe test of affliction. They are literally, it is, they, they're talking about being rock bottom poverty. They, they don't have what they need. They don't have their basic necessities being, meet as, being met as a church. But he says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. That is, these, they, they had joy. I think we even read about, we, First and Second Thessalonians, we read about people who have joy in the gospel. Their, their faith in the gospel is evident. They, you can see how much they love Jesus Christ, how much they, they love the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins. You see the hope that they have that they're going to be raised with Jesus Christ. That, that causes joy. So there is this combination of their abundance of joy and then their extreme poverty, their rock-bottom poverty. So they, their, their poverty was rock-bottom on the floor, but their joy was through the roof because they had an eternal inheritance with Jesus Christ in eternity, in the heavens. You, you put those things together, you take rock-bottom poverty with overflowing joy, and what you get is an overflow of wealth, of generosity on their part. They, they, the, what does the grace of God look like as it works in and through people? What does it look like as it works in and through a church? It looks like overflowing generosity. We want, we want the grace of God. We want the grace of God to be at work in us, to be given to us. Even you, even look at verse four. It says they, they begged earnestly for the favor that's the same word as grace. They begged for the grace to be able to participate. That even seems to indicate that uh, maybe Paul hadn't originally asked the churches of Macedonia. You know, think about if you were trying to raise funds. You go to the, you go to the wealthier churches, maybe like Corinth, churches in Galatia. Maybe, maybe they were a little bit more well, more well off. But you have a hard time going to the people who are already suffering. You don't, you don't take up a collection for the poor from the poor. But here are the poor, they are begging. 
for the grace, for the favor of being able to take part in the collection. He says in verse 3, they, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They, they gave beyond what they could, could reasonably be, be expected to give. And you recognize like, like, like they are giving sacrificially, but they are not giving sacrificially in this case is, does not mean that they are giving sacrificially like they are giving up Starbucks or they're giving up their television package or they are, uh, they are giving up eating out for a little while so they can give a little bit more. That's, that's not what he means by sacrifice. This means that they are giving, to give beyond your means means they're giving grocery money. They're giving what they had to live on. They are like the widow in, in the book of Luke who gave the last two cents that she had to live on. They are relying upon God. How do we, how do we know that this is the grace of God? Because only the grace of God motivates people to give like this, to give, to beg to give like this. For the poor to beg to give to the poor. Even beyond what they, what they could handle. He says, this is not as we expected, like, like maybe, maybe they didn't ask these people, they didn't expect them to respond this way, but, but this is what the grace of God worked in them, was that they would be ready to give, to take part in the relief of the saints. You know, if, if, if Paul wanted them, the, the church in Corinth, to know about the churches of Macedonia, about their example of the grace of God at work in them, God, God also wants us to know about what it looks like for the grace of God to be at work. I mean, this is, this is people giving out of extreme poverty. And yet they are willing to, re- they want to relieve, they want to help, they want to help the poor in Jerusalem. How much more should we be ready to give? If this is what the grace of God looks like among the impoverished, how much more should we want to give? Now, he says that they gave beyond their means. We're going to see a little bit, a little bit later on that, that, uh, that that's, not, that's not a requirement, but it certainly is something to be commended. It is something to be, to, to be praised. Now, I think that sometimes when we think about people giving to this, this, this extreme level, we think, well, man, maybe you guys ought to Maybe you guys ought to hold off, you know, I mean, you ought to make sure you take care of the college fund and retirement and, and make sure, you know, do total money makeover. And later on, when you build up a lot of wealth, then you can give a lot more. That's, that's, that's not what these people are doing. The grace of God in their, out of their extremity of poverty, they are, they're like, there are poor people now, then, then we are responding to their poverty by, by working for their good. We ought not to be shocked or or hold back and just say hey be a little bit more prudent if if people want to give this is something that is to be commended he also says look at verse five how how is it how is it that they were able to do this they gave themselves first to the lord and then by the will of god to us they they did not consider anything that they owned to belong to them they did not even consider their own lives to belong to them. They considered everything as belonging to the Lord. The whole idea of being redeemed means you got bought. And when you get bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't belong to yourself. You don't, nothing belongs to you. Everything that you have belongs to the Lord. After they had given themselves to the Lord, then they were ready to give themselves to the ministry that Paul was doing. 
You know, there's always going to be. There's going to be a, there's going to be a tension this week. There's going to be a tension next week. There's always a tension in the Christian life between how much do I keep for, how, how, many, how much good do I keep for myself versus how much good do I share with other people. Because what God, what God does is he gives good gifts. Not all those good gifts are intended to terminate on you. Sometimes those good gifts are intended to go through you to other people. So God gives good gifts. But we count those good gifts as belonging to God. Therefore, when we see that they actually belong to somebody else, we're ready to give them to somebody else. We're ready to, we're ready to give. You know, how do, we, how do we resolve the tension between how much good do we keep to ourselves versus how much good do we share? There is, no, there is no absolute number. There is no relative number to give you. There isn't one. There is, no, there is no cut the Gordian knot and figure out how much I'm supposed to give. But this is one way that we will know how much to give. When we give ourselves to the Lord, then we will know how much to give to others. Give everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that you own. Give your life and everything that supports your life. Give it to the Lord. Then you will know how much to give to others. So we see the grace of God working. Next we see the, the need to, the, the grace excelling. We need to see the need to excel at this grace. Pick up in verses, verse 6. We read verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So when, when Paul saw what was happening in Macedonia, he says to Titus, Titus had already made a visit uh, to the Corinthians. Uh, Titus was the one who delivered the, this painful letter from Paul, the one that came before this. Uh, and, and they received him well. And so, so Paul had told the, the Corinthians, start to get this collection ready. Titus had gone and he had sort of started to get ready. But now after Paul sees what the Macedonians are doing, he says, go back and, and complete the work. Go complete this act of grace. This, this, is, this is what the grace of God working in people looks like. This is, a, this is a concrete act that is, that is empowered by, that is enabled by, that is driven by, that is inspired by, that, is, that is, is persuaded and appealed to you by the grace of God. So they go, go and complete it. And he says, notice this, as you excel, as you excel in everything. So he says, as you excel in faith and speech and knowledge. These are, these are things that the Corinthians really valued. They valued faith that would enable them to do uh, mighty works. They valued uh, speech. Things that, that are recognized there in 1 Corinthians. The, the ability to, uh, to prophesy and even to speak in tongues. They, they valued those things. They valued knowledge. This superior knowledge they often appealed to. As opposed to some of those uh, more, more lower Christians who maybe didn't know as much. They, didn't, they, these, they knew something. But they really valued that. They valued that highly. They, they sought those things. But now Paul says, you excel in everything. You, we, we, uh, I, I praise God that you excel in these areas. 
But they didn't always excel in their eagerness for Paul. Saw that there was some reticence. They did not always excel in love. It's what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. It is a, it is a rebuke of their lack of love. Well, then, but, but now he's saying you, you excel in, in, in your eagerness for Paul. You excel in, in love. Uh, but now also excel in this grace also. How many people are trying to excel in the grace of generosity? You know, it, there, is a, there is a certain outward, outward impulse. There is an outward reward that comes from excelling, say, in speech or in knowledge. You know, if you, if you know a lot or you speak well or you speak in a very impressive way, there, there is an encouragement that comes from that. There is a commendation. There's, there, everybody sees that. But if we, if we give the way that Jesus taught us to give, much of, most of that giving... Rarely are we going to, you know, the Macedonians kind of get outed by Paul. But most of our giving is going to be done in secret. No one's going to know. No one's going to no commend us for that. No one's going to praise us for that. But Paul says we should excel in this grace also. Excel. Lots of people want to excel in knowledge or excel in speech. How many are seeking to excel in the grace of giving, in the grace of generosity. One of the things that, one of the things that, that and, and it's hard to, uh, once you see verse 9, you'll, you'll see why, why we don't, we don't, there's not a requirement to talk about this maybe as much. You know, you're going to notice in the message this week and the message next week, I don't talk a lot about, a lot about tithing. That's the practice of giving 10% of your income. There's a lot of wisdom in, in tithing because there's, there's a pattern from the Old Testament. A lot of times the New Testament will take a pattern from the Old Testament and it will talk about the, the wisdom that comes from, from the law that is there in the, the Old Testament law. But we're looking for something much more than simply giving a tenth. We're looking to excel at giving. I want you to excel at this grace also. So that, that, that might... That might mean something besides 10%. That might mean excelling beyond that or excelling beyond what you think you can or excelling. We want you to, to press on. We want you to excel at this grace also. To be excellent at giving. And I want to say, I, I should say this more. You know, lots of times we talk about things that you ought to do. You know, lots of times when we talk about things, the commands that people ought to be obeying, many of you obey the commands of Scripture. Many of you, you know, when I talk about people who need to excel at, uh, at uh, speaking kindly to other people or, or people who need to excel at love or people who need to excel at knowledge, many of you, many of you excel at those things. You, you do. Many of you also already excel at the grace of giving. And so I praise God for that. But that is, that is what we all ought to be doing, to excel at knowledge, to excel in speech, to excel in love, to excel at the grace of giving. When we, when we look at our own money management, possession management, does it look like we are excelling at the grace of giving? We ought to be able with a clear conscience say, God, I'm, I'm striving in this area. And he goes... He says that he wants you to excel. He also says in verse 8, this is not a, this is, I, I say this not as a command. That's one of the things that is, that is 
something that is, that is stressed in chapters 8 and 9. This giving, it has to be willing. It has to be cheerful. It has to be, has to be desired. It has to, be, has, to, has to come out from, from your inward being, from your will, from your desire. You must desire to do this. There must be a readiness to do this. There must be a willingness to do this. Now, there, there can't be any, any squeezing people. There's no arm turning. There's, there's certainly a, an appeal. There, is a, there are strong reasons of, of persuasion, but there is, no, there is no exaction. There is no pressing people and saying, this is what you have to do. It's much like in the book of Philemon. A book of Philemon, uh, Paul is writing to a guy named Philemon and says, hey, you should set uh, your, your, the man who was your slave, Onesiphorus, you should release your slave. And Paul says, I, I could command you, but I'm not commanding you. I want you to do it of your own accord. Paul's saying something similar to that here. He's saying, I, I, I'm not commanding you. I want you to do this willingly. I want you to, I want this to come, I want this to come out of what you want to do. And he even says that, that you would prove your love. You would prove that your love is genuine. Are you, or do, do we demonstrate, have we proven, have we given evidence of our love for other people by being generous with them? How, how you know, is, the, is the Bee Gees saying, how deep, is, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? Deep. No, sorry. Uh, should be like a rule that I would never sing. That how, 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 how much is your love proven by your generosity? Think of Zacchaeus. How, how did Jesus go and see Zacchaeus? And he says, today you see a child of Abraham. Today, this man is, has been saved. How, how, did, how was that seen? How was that evidence? It's evidence in Zacchaeus saying, hey, I'm going to take half of my possessions and sell them and give to the poor. I'm going I'm to pay back. I'm going to do justice by all those people. I, Zacchaeus worshipped money. When you saw him change from the worship of money to the worship of Jesus Christ, it was demonstrated in how he related to money, to his possessions. Prove your love by your generosity. These are, these are two reasons, two, two reasons for us to give. But the, the biggest reason is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The grace, you, you see, the, you see the, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ again. He was rich. Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. He, you, don't, you don't get wealthier than being the Son of God. All things belong to you when you're the Son of God. All that exists, everything that the Father has has been given to the Son. You, there, there is not anything, there's no way to be wealthier, there's no way to be richer, there's no way to have more or own more than the Son of God had. And yet the Son of God set aside the, 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 the external glory that was his. He humbled himself. He came down. He, he set aside all of the prerogatives and all of the privileges of, of deity, and he took on human flesh. How, how, how great 
how great of a depth of impoverishment is that for one who is God, who for one for whom it was not it was not robbery, it was not it was not a status that Jesus attained. He did not attain the level of Son of God. He was and is the Son of God in his very nature, in his being, the exact imprint of the Father. He is the Son of God, and yet he took on human flesh so that those who would look at him would not notice any difference between him and any other ordinary man. Not only that, but he was obedient even to death. He became impoverished for us. He died with nothing. Even the very, even the, the clothes on his back, they cast lots for them. They threw dice to see who would get Jesus' clothes. He died naked. He died alone. He died abandoned by God because of our sin. He was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says that he who was rich for your sake became poor. So that by his poverty, by his death, you would be made rich. You would would receive eternal life. You would receive the life that he gives. He is the life giver. I even want you to see the, 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 the parallel between this statement and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He who knew no sin, that is, he who was rich. Jesus Christ was rich with righteousness. He was rich with the righteousness of God. He was rich in justice and obedience and, and the, perfect, the perfect fulfillment of the law. He was rich in these things, and yet he became sin. He was counted as a transgressor. All of his, all, all that was ours, all of our debts, all of our poverty was counted as his. He took it on himself and died in our place so that we might know the riches of the righteousness of God. When you think about what it means to be rich through Jesus Christ, it is to be rich in righteousness. To know in ourselves that we are counted before God as perfectly obedient in his sight. As being accepted by God because we, we have in Jesus Christ been judged to be just or righteous or obedient to God's commands. We have fulfilled the demands of the law in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled them for us in our place, dying our death on the cross. Are, are you going to hold on to your money and possessions after that? Are you going to say, I'm going to be tight-fisted, I'm going to be stingy, I'm going to worry, I'm going to worry about my security and worry about my comfort, and I'm going to, I, can't, I can't be concerned about these poor people over here because I've got to take care of myself. No, no one descended from a greater height to a lower level of poverty than Jesus Christ did in dying on the cross for our sins. How would we hold back, how would we be tight-fisted when we see people in need? And so you can see why, man, all, all, all sense, all sense of, of, of in, in, from, from this perspective, all sense of these things belong to me or maybe I just, I just, all I need to think about is the right percentage or all I need to think about is the right amount. Those, those, those standards are just, they're just, certain wisdom in them but 
man, they just exploded. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ says there, there is no limit. There, there, is no, there, is, there is no limit. It all belongs to God. This is the standard. Where, where are we relative to the death of Jesus Christ? Where are we relative to the gift of Jesus Christ? Where are we relative to the generosity of Jesus Christ in taking on the poverty of our sin and giving us the riches of his righteousness? Where are we on that standard? That's what we have to wrestle with. That's what we have to pray about. That's what we have to, that's what we should be asking God. Please give me, please give me wisdom. Please, please give me understanding. That's, that's what we want to model ourselves after. Now then, what we see in these, in these first nine verses is we see these, these reasons and these appeals and these, these, these reasons why we ought to, to, to give, reasons why we ought to be generous. And they're, they're just simply this. So it, generosity is the work of God's grace in you. Generosity is the way that you prove your love to other people. The way you even give evidence that, the, that God has changed you. And we give because Jesus Christ died for our sins. He gave himself. So we give to others. Now then, in verses 10 through 15, Paul begins to anticipate and to answer objections to giving. And so let's look at these. There's a, they're, 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 these are, the, these are the, the, the questions that we have, okay? So when we, when we get moved to give, the question is, now, now what about these things? And look at what he says. The first, we give according to means. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You know, Paul says that, hey, this, this opportunity, this is actually good for you. It's good that the Macedonians did this for you. It's good that I'm, here I am, you wanted to do this. You were willing, you desired, you, you desire the opportunity to help other people to demonstrate your love for God to, to you want the grace of God working in you you want this you have prayed for this this is to your advantage you desired it and and notice again how much how much this readiness how much this willingness how much this desire this is this is a very important point for Paul you you it is so good for you to be ready it is so good for you to be willing it is so good for you to desire to desire generosity so finish it you, you determined, you desired, now finish it. Let me, let me just give you a very common sense principle for you to act on. Determine how much you will give and then give it. You know, if you, if you wait until the end of the month, at the end of your pay period, and you give what is left over, you will, you will not give very much you may never give it all. If you are waiting to calculate how much you have until based upon how much is left over, you are not going to give. 
You can talk to any person who gives, and, and I, I know, I, I know, I've talked to people. Nobody who gives generously, regularly, consistently says, hey, I'll just wait and give at the end of the month. They, they, don't, they don't have a few hundred dollars laid around at, on, on, on the 30th of the month to give. So, so you have to determine what you will give and then consistently give. Don't just, just he, say, he says later on, chapter, chapter 9, de- determine. Each, each one should determine in their heart. Determine willingly. De- think about what you should give. Pray about it. Talk to people about it. It's good, good things. Good, good to seek counsel. But once you have determined, give it. Don't, don't, don't stop giving it because you have to buy Christmas presents. Don't stop giving it because, because uh, something happened. Give. Determine, determine what you will give and give. Complete it. He also says, so now finish doing this as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Uh, he, he's saying it's a very, the, the most important element that, that keeps coming to the top is your readiness, your willingness to give. But if you don't match your, your readiness to give with actual giving, that really calls into question just how ready you are to give. But he says, give according to what you have. Based upon the language he used earlier, give according to your means. This is, the, this is proportionality. So while, while we don't particularly talk about 10%, we do talk about proportionality based upon what you have. And he says there in verse 12, it, it, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What if a person says, hey, I don't have very much? It's, it's not about the absolute dollar figure. It's not according to what you don't have. Don't, don't look at what you are giving and say, oh, this just isn't really very much. Jesus did not look at the widow who gave everything that she had to live on. He didn't look at what she had and say, oh, she didn't give very much. It's not according to what you don't have. It's according to what you have. If you, and so it's, it's, really, it's really quite simple. If you don't have very much, don't, don't give very much. And if you have a lot, then give a lot. Give according to what you, give according to what you have. And you can even see there that, that while, while Macedonian giving, giving beyond your means, that is praiseworthy and commendable, that's not what Paul is telling the Corinthians to, to do. We, lots of times people will give as a principle, a principle for giving, giving sacrificially. I think that's good. But they will point to the, to the Macedonians. I have never known anyone in my entire life of growing up in the church. I have never known a single person who gives like the Macedonian gives, Macedonians give. I've never known anybody. I think it would be wonderful to see people give that way. But that's not, that's not the requirement. That is commendable. That is praiseworthy. But it is acceptable for you to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So look, look, look at what you have. And give according to what you have. Don't feel bad if it's small. Don't feel proud if it's a lot. Give according to what you have. Now then, this is, this is, uh, this is a challenge for you who don't 
uh, don't feel like you don't have very much. If you don't have very much, don't give very much. But don't give zero. Don't give zero. If you don't, if you don't, if you have zero, then you can give zero. In fact, if you have zero, please come and see one of the pastors after the service because we do not intend for any people who have come here with zero to leave with zero. There no, no, no one should have zero. So if you have more than zero, then give more than zero. I would also like to challenge those of you who have a lot. Giving proportionally does not mean giving 10% and not a penny more. Okay, for some people, giving 10% is a real challenge. Let me tell you, when, when some people give 10%, they really feel what 10% of their income feels like. And, and to, to that, that is significant for them. Other people can give 10% and live quite comfortably. They won't feel it at all. If that's you, 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 should, you should reconsider what it looks like to give proportionally. Remember that in, when Jesus is looking at the, at the widow, he also saw many other people who gave much greater gifts, but it didn't really cost them anything. So giving proportionally does not mean I'm capped out at 10%. Giving proportionally means giving, if you have a lot, giving a lot. Well, we give according to our means. And I think, I think really, uh, I, I, wanted to, I, I want you to think about this. I want, you to, I want to say this a couple of times so you can think about this. We want to be able to commend giving beyond your means while not condemning giving according to your means. Does everybody get that? We, want, we should be able to commend people for giving beyond their means while not condemning people who give according to their means. It's acceptable. And yet, even when we give, even when we're making that budget or thinking about looking at our check and thinking about what to give, we know, hey, we're ready to give it all. All this belongs to the Lord. I have only done my very best to decide this is how much God wants me to keep for myself. And this is how much good God wants me to give to other people. Well, the, the, last, uh, the last objection or, or anticipation of, of questions is uh, in verses 13 through 15. And that is that we should give according to fairness. Give according to fairness. Look at what it says. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness. As is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul doesn't mean that you're going to impoverish yourself so that other people will be able to live in comfort and ease and security. That's, that's what we, we want to know. When we think about giving to other people, we want to know, like, I'm not working while they refuse to work. You know, Paul addresses that. Second Thessalonians 3, he says, he who does not work shall not eat. So he is, he is not intending to say that there are any people who can work and can get work that should not be working for their own, for their own meal, for their own bread. He even says, for everybody, Ephesians 4, 
that everyone should stop stealing and get to working so that they can share with others. Everybody should have a little bit to share with others. The goal is to work so that you can share with other people. And so he says that. He says, I, I don't mean, I don't mean that there should be, that, that you should be impoverished while they're at ease. But he said, he's, he uses this, he says, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance is there to satisfy their need so that at the appropriate time, in some way, their abundance will fit your need. And then he quotes, he quotes from Exodus 16. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Where did the manna come from in the wilderness? It came from God. God was supplying everybody's needs. Where, where, does, the, where does the bread come from now? I know you think that it comes from you. It doesn't. It comes, it, it's still coming from God. One of the most, most tiniest, smallest little disciplines that you could have a part as a part of your family life is to thank God for the food before you eat it. Everybody, everybody in your house should know, all you fathers, all, all you fathers, everybody in your house should know the food doesn't come from daddy. The food comes from God. And so, so look, at, look, at, look at what he quotes. He says, when God is distributing the food, nobody has too much and nobody has too little. And so he says that your abundance is for meeting their need. Now, how do you, how do you, think, about, how do you think about abundance? Now, this is, I don't want to go too far afield here, but just think about what John the Baptist said. He said, if if you have two shirts and, you're, and, and, and another has no shirt, give your shirt to the other person. Now, if you have two shirts and they have one shirt, it doesn't mean you have to tear yours in half and give it to them. It doesn't mean you have to burn it so we can have some kind of, some kind of strange kind of equality. He's just saying when, when you have an abundance and you see a person who is in need, who is in need, take what you have and give it to them. So that there's fairness. The, the fairness or the equity or the, 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 the justice there is that your abundance should make sure that nobody has or, or that everybody has their necessities met. Why, why did God give you an abundance? God gives us an abundance so that we would meet other people's needs. That's, that's why we have an abundance. So that we would be able to meet other people's needs. If you, if you have an abundance and you see someone in, 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 God, in, in need, you, I, I would even say uh, you don't have to pray about that a lot. When, when, when you have two shirts and somebody else has no shirt, you, you don't have to think about that very much. You can already say God's will is for you to give to the person who has nothing. And so we should. That's the way that God, when God distributes, that's the way that he distributes. He gives. He gives to everybody who is in need. You know, I, I, think, I think this is, the, this, is the, uh, this is the end. This is the last Sunday in August. A lot of you, like me, you're getting paid at the end of this month. And you're going to start deciding how much to give next month. It's just the way God's worked it out. 
But I want you, I want you when, when you think about what do I give next month, think about this. Go home and, and take this passage and think about these things. What, is it, what does it look like for the grace of God to be at work in my life? What does it look like for me to prove my love, to give evidence of my love for other people? What does it look like to even give now that, now that I am thinking about and I, am, I, I know that Jesus Christ gave himself for me? I can look at everything that I have. I can look at what I have and I give according to what I have. But I look and see who is in need and I give. It's a lot all this time that we've looked and seen what the grace of God looks like, the grace of God always, the grace of God always at, at work in us, God's favor on us always leads to action. To not only be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word. Most people want to know, most people um, want to be told what to do. But he doesn't tell us an exact amount, but he does tell us how to decide how much to give and that we ought to give, that we ought to excel in this grace also. So let us give. Father, uh, we uh, praise you for the wonderful gift of your son given for our sins, that he took on the poverty of our sin and he died so that we might know the riches of his righteousness. Let that have its full effect in us today. Grant that we would excel in giving. Apart from your grace, we cannot, we cannot release, we cannot relinquish our money and possessions. But with your grace, with your grace at work in us, as we consider how much your grace has shown us, that we would give, that we would be generous. Teach us to be a generous people, even as you are generous with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.